Welcome to Financials Podcast Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and also a CFP, which, as you all know by now, stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I'm here with my guest today, Prudence. And Prudence, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for Hi. having me on. So I guess the basics about me to start with are I'm 37. I am an attorney for the federal government. I live in the D.C. area, and I am the single parent of a seven-year-old. Very nice. And I, I would like to tell our listeners that you did a lot of homework prior to coming on the I show. I kind of geeked out, so <laughs> it was fun. Thanks. <laughs> you, did, you did a great job on the homework. We have everything laid out here. So, um, so you're a single parent. You live in D.C., um, and what is your gross salary? My gross salary is $156,228. That's great. That's a very nice salary. So I did have a question for you, and you sent this over. Because you're a government employee, you do get a pension in addition to being able to save for retirement, correct? Yes. I'm grateful that I'm kind of a relic um, and that I have a pension available. Hopefully, Hopefully, it'll still be there when I reach that age. That is, that's like one of the most amazing things about being a government employee or even a teacher or a firefighter, police officer, those jobs all still have pensions. And from what you sent over, it looks like they use a calculation where they use the length of your service, which is how long you worked for the government. And then they take the average of your highest three consecutive years of base pay. Yes. I hear people talking about the high three. You do, t- you do hear, I'm sure that like goes around the office, right? Yes. I don't <laughs> fully understand it just yet. Well, so normally what they do, um, and, and this is a little ways away from you, although with government, you can u- usually retire at 55. Yes. And I should have maybe mentioned that my previous position, which was actually in New York, was considered a law enforcement position. So I vested after three years. And while I'm not still in that exact position, uh, I get to keep the law enforcement benefit. And so one of the, to me, it's kind of good and bad. One of the things about that is we can retire at 50, actually, but okay, you have to retire by 57. So we're kind of kicked out. Oh, you have to retire by 57 yeah. because you fall underneath the law enforcement. Yes. Ah, no, I didn't know that. It's kind of specific to certain uh, federal agencies, I think. Yeah, no, I haven't had anybody that had a mandatory. Well, actually, my uncle was a New York City firefighter, and he had mandatory retirement. Yeah, it's kind of similar to that. And okay, thank you so that, uncle. that makes sense. Yeah, because I was, he didn't want to retire, and I was like, Uncle Jack, I mean, <laughs> you don't want a 70-year-old running up to rescue somebody on a ladder. <laughs> well, I think that that deadline is kind of why I've become so interested in personal finance and really trying to set myself up for uh, to have enough saved and to feel that I have some security and peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Because you have like almost a drop dead, you have a drop dead date when yes. you can't do this job anymore. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you're still considered law enforcement. Yes. Under here. Yes. And so you are correct. Usually um, law enforcement, firefighters, very select others have mandatory retirement. Yes. And I sometimes worry about that kind of accelerated timeline, but 
I've heard from a few coworkers who've really managed their money well and who've mm-hmm. been willing to share their insights that I actually could be somewhat comfortable in retirement if I keep up the habits I have now, but I'm just not totally confident about that, which is why I'm speaking here. And you know what we see a lot with the mandatory retirement um, when it's younger, you know, when it's not, I think, you know, not um, 55 or 60 when, you know, you go out at 50 is we do see some people pick up another position, you know, not necessarily like a full-time job. I mean, one, we had one gentleman that was a, a police officer retired at 50 and then decided to take a less stressful job out West. And he moved out West and picked up another position. He's like, yeah, I'll work another 10 years and much more laid back. And then I'm going to, you know, hopefully get a 10 year pension for that job that he was getting out West. And then he had the pension from the one out East. He's like, I'll have two pensions in social security by the time I'm 60. Yeah. That Uh, sounds great. I know. I was like, that sounds lovely. (laughs) (laughs) The lovely transition into. Yeah. So I, I do think it's good to plan for that to be your ultimate retirement date, but then make sure that that will happen. But also then know in the back of your mind that you could always do private practice or something like that, where you could still have some income coming in if you needed to. Yes. Thank you. So let's talk about your, um, we said what your gross salary is. And so you get paid bi-weekly, correct? Yes. So that means every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think it's 52, no, I'm sorry, 26 paychecks a year. Exactly. So you, so if you're planning on a monthly budget, a lot of people say um, they get paid every two weeks, but it's actually the first and the 15th for a lot of people, which is 24 paychecks. You get the 26. Um, So you said you were netting out with your biweekly pay at uh, around 1900 a month. Yes. And I have to admit, I, I kind of like to hide money from myself, so to speak. Because I was doing the math and then you had all these other savings and I was like, what? Yeah, a lot of that is uh, deductions for, you know, some of the positive things like TSP and then some of the more negative things like taxes and things like that. (laughs) So then you're, when we're looking, when you're telling me your your net is 1900, is that including your savings for the Roth and the 529 and the emergency fund? Is that what you have after that? Yes, the emergency fund, I forgot to say that. That's just kind of a personal financial, I forget what they call it, allotment or something like that, that they take out of my paycheck because I specifically asked them to. So I try okay, and to- then it automatically goes into that savings account. Yes, and it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and I get used to not- That is my favorite thing to do because so many people use it if it's in their regular checking or savings. So I'm always like, put it somewhere far away. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I have to kind of work against my human nature or something when it comes to personal finance. No, that's perfect. If you can recognize that and then act accordingly, it makes it much easier. Okay, so after you do all of your savings, then you have the 1900 left. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't your net actual deposit into your account. And then that was your net after you did all of your savings as well. Right. So when I look at my pay stub, so to speak, it's about 6,000, I I suppose, uh, every pay period. And then those deductions come out and I'm left with about 2,000 to spend on things like groceries and mortgage and everything else. It is, it does seem kind of tight, but I'm kind of doing that deliberately. So I won't spend. Perfect. Because I was going to say, I then took what you told me as your net and added up your monthly expenses and your monthly expenses with mortgage, childcare, car payment, came to about um, 34, 3,500 a month. 
Yes. And I'm wondering if one of the things that really factors in here is although I try to oversave, so I have, I think, 1100 coming out of each paycheck into my emergency fund. I do find that pretty regularly, I have to shift a little bit back into my checking account. And I don't like that. Um, Well, you don't have a lot of wiggle room and you're given that you're with how much you're putting into savings. So for the listeners, she's putting her monthly um, after maxing out your work retirement plan, which so you're doing 19,000 a year in that. And then you're putting 450 a month into a Roth, which I have to ask you about because I don't think you're eligible. Um, 300 into a 529 for your child and then 2,200 a month into your emergency fund. So right there, you're saving about 3,000. So you're taking almost half of what one of your paychecks that comes in and just allocating it towards savings in addition to your retirement. So when I added it up, it looked like you probably, between what you consider to be your net after all of your savings goals and what your monthly spend is, you only had about 350 a month. And then if we count those extra two paychecks, which is hard, I think, to monthly budget for those because some month, one month you get an, two months you get extra paychecks and the other months you don't get them. Yes. So if you were to actually average those dollars in, you'd have an extra like 600 a month, the extra stuff like food, because I didn't see that in the budget. So it does make sense that it feels a little bit tight. Yes. And when I am um, doing my budget, which I guess I'm one of those rare people who's come to really love budgeting, I think it gives me a sense of um, control. I try not to factor in those two kind of extra paychecks a year. And I try to err on the side of the more conservative number mm-hmm. when I'm trying to motivate myself to save. So you're doing a great job with the saving, but I think that's why it's feeling a little tight. Cause if we don't count those extra paychecks between what you, after all of your savings and then your basic expenses, which is mortgage, HOA, childcare, parking, car, I would like to point out that you pay your own cell phone. I'm very proud of you. Yes. <laughs> and then your I club. Yeah, you're in my club. I think it's just me and you, maybe one other person in here. Small club, but we're proud. My parents are not on my plan. It's just me. Oh, but, that's so. okay. You can still be in the club. You, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, elder millennial, pay your self bill. Love it. So after all, all of that, you really, not including those two extra paychecks, you really only have an extra 350 a month. So I'm not surprised you have to pull from the emergency fund because you do need to eat and you're feeding your your child. So both of you need to eat. Um, so I think it's, I like, I think though it's fine to shoot high and, you know, put it in there, maybe lower it a little bit to give yourself a little bit more of a buffer. So maybe shoot for 2000 a month and, and see if that extra 200, then that gives you 500 a month. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe a little bit less stress, even if at the end of the day, it's the same situation. Exactly. Yeah. You're giving yourself a little bit more of a buffer. I, I think that 350 for two people is, is, is tight for a month of food, but I love that you're hitting the savings goals. So, um, I like the idea that you, you do, and I really believe that the right way to do your budget or not even do budget. Cause everyone hates the word budget, but the right way to manage your money is to start with what your goals are first and work backwards. Cause most people do the opposite, right? So they spend all month and at the end of the they're like, oh, I have nothing left to save. But they maybe didn't need to do whatever it was they were spending money on that they didn't realize was so expensive because they weren't adding it up and realizing that, you know, $400 was going to the that takeout salad place or whatever it might be or the, you know, the gym classes that they could maybe cut back on. So 
you're, I like the way you're doing it, which is you're setting your goals first and then allocating all the money that way and then living on what's left over. I mean, that's a fantastic okay. habit. Once you're in it, it's hard to break it, which I, which I'm kind of hearing from you because like once you put the money in the emergency fund, you don't want to take it back out. Yeah. So, so but that's going to set you up for success, especially with the drop dead um, retirement date. So <laughs> I would, because then this way you have this really good habit of always living on what's left over after all of your savings goals. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. And one of the specific things I'm interested in is the financial independence movement. Now, I don't, I don't profess to be anywhere near that level, but I try to keep my eye on the prize and I'm shooting for a higher and higher savings rate each year, which can be tough even when you have a good income on paper if you live in a high cost of living area. Which Washington, D.C. is a very high cost of living area. So I don't know if I'll ever reach a humongous savings rate, but I think I'm I'm on the right track, hopefully. Um, but that's kind of one of my questions, if I'm striking the right balance between saving for the future and just you know living in the present. Yes, I think maybe you could live a little bit more in the present. <laughs> Probably. I don't think I've ever told anybody on the podcast. You also might be the first person where I'm like, well, you might want to enjoy yourself a little bit more. Because <laughs> um, we're putting all of your money into savings, which I normally just, people come on the show and then I take all of their money and put it in savings. And they leave the show being like, oh my gosh, this what <laughs> So I think that you're doing, you have a lot of things going for you. One, why don't we tell the listeners how much you have saved right now in your work retirement, which is as a government employee of Thrift Savings Plan, which is abbreviated at PSP. Yes, and I currently have about 260000 saved. I don't know if I'll reach one of those great thresholds by the time I retire, but I'm trying. And of course, we don't know what the market will do over time. Exactly. Yeah, we can't predict the market. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> There's a few things we can't plan when we're planning for your retirement. One is we don't know what the market's going to do. And the second is we don't know how long your retirement is going to be. So those are two big variables uh, (laughs) that we can't plan for. Um, But we can plan for unknown, right? We can plan for you having a long retirement and hope that that happens. Because it's, I always think it's better for you to plan to have a long retirement. And then God forbid it's, you don't live to be 100 and you only live to be 80, you still were comfortable. I think the worst scenario is you wake up on your 80th birthday and you feel great and you want to go to yoga and hang out with your friends and you have no more money. <laughs> right. Right. And think about your 80 year old self being like, now do you, you don't want your 80 year old self to have to go get a job. I mean, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's kind of one of the risks of our generation living longer on average. Yes. So I'm trying to plan for that. I I don't spot check Prudential, but I'm pretty sure it was Prudential's ad. And they said the person, um, a person has been born who's going to live to be 150. And I was like, Lord, we did not learn that in our CFP studies. Like we did not learn to plan for potentially. Yeah. Are all those actuarial tables or something going to have to be updated? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't think they're updating them fast enough. (laughs) I I don't. Social security is rolling back ages from when you can collect. um, So they don't actually have out ages for anybody in their thirties because I'm in my thirties as well. But for example, when my grandparents retired, well, just my grandfather, because it was very traditional households. My grandmother stayed home with five kids and my grandfather went to work. Um, So when he retired, it was... 65, you know, you got social security. And actually when they created social security, when it came out, when they first enacted it, 
uh, I believe it was during Franklin residency. It was right after the Great Depression because there were so many senior citizens living in poverty and they wanted, so nobody would retire. So they couldn't get the younger younger generation into jobs because the older people wouldn't retire because they're like, why am I going to retire? Because I'm just going to be living in poverty. So I'm just going to work until I die. That was like the attitude. So they created social security, which was a social insurance. And the goal of it was to help senior, older individuals retire and be above the poverty line. That was like really the goal, not to like have a, you know, a cruise account or like for a fancy car. It was like, so that they're not living in poverty. And I believe the average age, the life expectancy at the time when they created it for a male was 63 and the collection age was 65. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they were kind of assuming and maybe even hoping that most people would never claim it? Correct. Yeah. So now the average life expectancy is so much greater. So they've had to adjust with social security. So like people retiring right now, average, you get your full amount at 67 and it used to be 65. And then if you collect it earlier, they um, reduce the amount you're allowed to take. So for our generation, it's going to be later, but because they're going to have to update the fact that people are living longer, you know, it wasn't meant when it was created for someone to collect for 30 years. Right. And that's totally possible because I work with, you know, clients in a private wealth capacity. And I had one gentleman, he's like, my mom has been collecting social security for 30 years. I'm going to try and beat her. And all I thought is the poor social security system (laughs) was not created for like a 40 year collection. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for some changes to be made based on these realities, but well they've made a bunch of changes. So in 2015 was the most recent. They've been making changes to try and help preserve it and eliminate loopholes and make it more effective from oh, from their good. from social security standpoint. So I hoping it'll still be there for both of us and all of our Me listeners. Too. I have to admit, I've made a lot of smart aleck comments to some of my family members about our generation isn't even going to have social security. I know. But I'll try to have a little bit of optimism. The the thing is with stuff like that, I just try to mentally not really factor it into the equation because I don't want to make any assumptions. Right. Especially because we're so far away. I mean, most likely, I don't think our generation will collect till we're 70. So it's a long way away. And I think it's definitely more... Prudent, kind of like your name, Prudence, um, to plan for your own well-being financially. And then if you get it, that's great. Yes. So I think for you, for the key, because you've done a great job saving with the TSP, I think that would be ideal for you to continue maxing that out. Okay. It also helps with you lowering your taxable income because you're in a high tax environment. I'm all about optimizing my tax situation. You're probably getting crushed uh, with taxes. So definitely do. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm I'm kind of reaching the point where I feel like I'm running out of tax optimization options, which was another thing that prompted my interest in talking with you because right, because you're a high income earner. So for those listening, um, with the salary gross salary of 156, you're a high income earner. So there are less options for you. So for instance, my question for you was, how are you doing the Roth IRA? You are not eligible for that. Good question. So I have been doing that for the past however many years. And this past tax year was the first time I had to ask the, I guess, brokerage firm to, I'm forgetting the term now, but it was some kind of- had to recharacterize it. Oh, I- it's like I had over contributed and I guess I'm being phased out of it because of my income. So, well, I don't think I get 
a deduction. Okay. So this is going to lead me into my next question, Well, which was going to try and answer one of your questions, which is what you can do for tax planning for yourself. So is it all, so when you log into the account, is it all in a Roth IRA or is it part of it in a non-deductible? That's a good question. I thought all of it was in the Roth based on what my circumstances were at the time I, I opened it. But I remember okay. them warning me, you will eventually kind of be phased out of this. If you're so income. do you stop taking the money out? Because you definitely, with 156000 you are nowhere, the limit's like 130, it's 137 for income. I'll double check that number, but you're definitely well above what you're allowed. So you're not allowed to do a Roth IRA contribution. But my okay. idea for you was, because I the TSP plan is specifically used for governments, so I don't think it's going to have all the fancy features that would allow for a mega backdoor Roth. Mm-hmm. I went over another episode. Absolutely worth checking with the TSP folks if you can make non-deductible contributions in there and then if they offer in-plan conversions, but I my guess is they probably don't. So my idea for you would be do a non-deductible IRA, which means that you open an IRA outside of your work plan and you put money in it after tax. You leave it in cash so that it doesn't make anything and then you immediately convert it into a, a Roth by doing a Roth conversion. Okay, so that would start out as a traditional IRA? It would, no, it would start out as a non-deductible. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's like the sister to the traditional IRA. Like, oh. Right. Like that stepsister no one talks about. Um, <laughs> so yes, but so here's the catch. This is what I'm worried about. With that strategy using, and it's also known, you know, Roth conversion can also be called a backdoor Roth, Mm -hmm. be kind of one in the same. The concern with that is there is this thing called the pro rata rule. And the pro rata rule can get a little complex, but essentially when you convert monies, they're going to look for any other post-tax dollars you then have to convert the whole amount. So it can get a, it can get very complicated. So the easiest way to do a Roth conversion is to not have any other IRAs other than the one that you were converting. So what I need you to do to see if this makes sense for you is you have to check that Roth account. When they said you weren't eligible, you have to make sure they didn't already set you up with like a non-deductible IRA or IRA. You have to we have to make sure that that other account is set up properly because the in the ideal setting for this to work well is you only have a Roth IRA with your brokerage account, right? Which you should, if you are contributing, you should stop because you're not eligible. And then you set up a separate account with them that's called a non-deductible IRA. The limit for that for this year is 6,000. So you put 6,000 in non-deductible in cash, also known as sometimes money market cash equivalent. And then you immediately convert it over into your Roth. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. It's a little complicated. I almost need a little to make a little flow diagram. Yeah, I know. But so draw two draw two circles. Do you have a piece of paper? Yes. Okay, so draw two circles. And then one circle is the non-deductible IRA, which is the sister to the traditional. Okay. And so the reason it's non-deductible is because the money goes in after tax. So you're not getting a tax break. That's the way to think about it. It's no tax break for that. Okay. One. And then draw a circle with the Roth IRA next to it. All right. Okay. So then put you put 6000 into the first circle, which is your non-deductible, and then draw an arrow over into the Roth and write okay. conversion. All right. So that's your strategy. So first you do number one, you put 6000 in that, and then you 
use the arrow to convert it, and then that's your conversion into the Roth. But if there's any other circles like roaming around there, right, that we don't know about, like another IRA or another non-deductible, that's where we get, it gets hard. There should only be two circles. Okay. And so once that conversion is done, I guess whatever the tax benefits associated with a Roth would exist. Yeah. So once those monies goes, goes into your Roth IRA, and we'll just assume that your Roth IRA is invested, then those monies will get invested just like the Roth the existing Roth monies, it'll stay in there for at least five years or until you're 59 and a half. And then it comes out with no tax consequences. Oh, right. I have heard about the five years. Okay. Yeah. It has to be five years, um, which is not a problem because you're well below 59 and a half. So we'll, you'll hit that with no problem. And because the money went into the non-deductible IRA as you know, the 6,000 that we just in our example put in there and we, we left it into cash, we didn't invest it. So it didn't make any money or lose any money. So you don't pay tax on that because you it, you already went in with you no know, after tax money. So you oh, okay, thousand. So you don't pay any tax on that conversion. If you so what happens is one of the mistakes people make is they invest it and then they go to convert it later and then they owe tax on the gains. Yeah. So that's why you want to leave it in cash and then convert it. And I, when I say immediately, I mean within a like a week. It doesn't need to be. You don't want to do it the same day. You want to show your steps. You want to show that you started with one circle and you moved it into the other one. Okay. Where it's not clear cut is when you have other circles. So if you say you have another IRA somewhere, you have to draw another circle for that IRA, then that's when it gets very complicated and you could fall under the pro rata rule and that makes it much harder and there are more tax consequences or could be. I'm not an accountant, so here's the disclaimer. You should consult an accountant or a financial professional before you do this. Thank you very much. That does clarify it for me. And with regard to retirement, all that I think of is my TSP, what I've had with this Roth IRA, which I'm being kind of phased out of, and then the HSA that I recently started, and then that pension. Whatever. So the pension and the TSP will be your biggest, will be the biggest contributors to your retirement. So I always like to say retirement, and this I got from my father, so it's a little bit of an antiquated example, but I think it's a good visual, is a three-legged milking stool. So you want three sources of income, ideally, in retirement, right? Because two legs on a stool is not sturdy. So you want a pension or pension replacement, you want Social Security, and then you want your own savings. So you're going to have a pension, you're already working on uh, your own savings, and we're praying to God that we all get Social Security, right? (laughs) because we're contributing to it. It comes out of our paychecks. Right. So I think for you, the ideal retirement saving plan to get you that like when you, for the third leg that you're responsible for is maxing out your TS, TSP and then seeing if you're if you can do the non-deductible IRA into the Roth every year for 6,000, as long as you don't fall into the pro rata rule, because then it's going to get messy. So you just have to check what you, what you have out there and make sure that you don't have another non-deductible or a traditional IRA or anything, and that all you have is a Roth IRA, and then set up the non-deductible, and you could do that every year and put 6000 in there. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. That really clarifies it. Absolutely. I, I just don't think Mega and Backdoor Roths I love, but I, I would be shocked if the TSP had it. Yeah. They're just not as, um, we, we see more of those plan, the plans that offer that as like a Google or a Facebook or a large mm-hmm. investment bank, you know, where they customized it to offer that. So I just don't know that it'll, that you'll have that there. So to answer some of your questions, I do think that you are saving enough. I would say that it's also important if you're probably going to be one of the few people I give this advice to, it is also important to enjoy yourself because there definitely needs to be a balance. 
it seems like you've set really good goals, but I wouldn't stress yourself out if you want to take a vacation. Thank you. I mean, I have to admit that I don't know that I have quite enough in my emergency fund, and I've always been a little bit embarrassed about that. So even with my retirement savings habits, I get concerned that I really need to beef up that emergency fund. And then that's kind of when I run into, well, you know, I can't really ever spend on anything like a book or Starbucks or whatever else. So here you have to find a bit of a balance. So I would agree with you. It would be great to see your emergency fund up close. You have about 6,000 now. If you could get that up to ideally as a single parent, you want to have like six months. So you'd want closer to 18, but okay. you have such dil- You have to also give yourself credit for the diligent habits that you have, right? Thanks. So if you took a vacation and let's say you took 2000 out of your emergency fund to take a vacation because you worked really hard, you're saving a ton of money, everything's going well. I would have no doubt that you would put that back like the next month if, and then more. Replenish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're able to do that. So I would keep on your savings goals, but you don't, and I see this often with single parents where they never did anything because they're so, you're responsible for another person besides yourself. And with yourself, you have a drop dead retirement date, which is probably no backing. <laughs> So you have a lot on your plate that you're balancing, but it is important. I think that, you know, you have a really great job. You're making good money. And I also think it's important that you balance today with tomorrow because tomorrow is not a given, right? Right. For sure. So make, so make sure that you also enjoy yourself while working towards these goals. Thanks. Because well, one thing I, I want sorry, the listeners to know that you allocated no money for fun, like no vacation or anything. <laughs> right. That's true. It is kind of a bleak a budget, so to speak, that I sent over. Um, it just kind of feels extravagant to spend on just pure pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. But it does make you a better, more balanced person all around at work and at home and with your friends and everything else if you allow yourself that. So I'll just try to remind myself. And I've also been thinking lately about how you frequently say something about um, kind of giving yourself half of something and saving the other half, like when you get a windfall or even something smaller than a windfall. That was going to be my suggestion for you because you get set raises, correct, with with your job? Yes. And I try not to assume that those are guaranteed, but the the federal pay scale is pretty set in stone. So it, it allows me some predictability, I guess. Because maybe what I would say is next time, because you're already maxing out your TSP, you're already contributing to an outside retirement account, you're saving for your child's college, you're saving for an emergency fund, you're making an extra payment on your mortgage, you have no debt. So maybe next time you get a raise, and this is only for you and none of my listeners, because I don't know your situation yet, maybe you use that money and you earmark that for a vacation. That's nice. That's kind of like a reward at the end of the the rainbow. So At the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Yes, the tunnel. <laughs> That's what I would do just because I want to make sure that you keep up with this and don't get burnt out. Right. That's definitely a risk. Absolutely. Yeah, because you, I mean, you're, you're hitting on everything that you want. We, I'll go through your questions, but obviously if you can continue to save on the emergency fund like you are, I would. I would lower it by $200 just to give yourself money for food. You know, you need a little bit more breathing room in your budget. But then even with, if you're saving, even if you did 1500 a month, but we'll let's just say you stick with the 2000 a month and are able to do that. I mean, in six months, I mean, you would save a great amount of money. I mean, you'd have 12000 12, in emergency fund that you added to your six. So you'd be at your target of six months right there. 
that would give me so much peace of mind. That would be a huge weight lifted. And one thing I'm finding is that even if it feels like you're never going to make progress, tweaking my habits here and there has really added up over time. So, oh, it does. Yeah, and you don't have to ever give anything up long term. You can make a change for like a month or two and then switch it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would continue to target the emergency fund and get up to 18. I think that will give you peace of mind. And then once you do that, from there, you could use some of that money to continue to save outside of that and open a non, just like a non-retirement account, like just an investment account. Mm-hmm. But I, de- I definitely just think you should have money in there for vacation, considering how much you're saving. Like one vacation a year isn't going to not allow you to retire with the amount that you're saving. <laughs> So either do it when you, once you hit the emergency fund, do it that way and then take some of that, you know, then invest 1700 a month and take, you know, 500 a month to set aside for fund money for you and your child. Because, you know, you know, once um, your child grows up, you can't go back in time and, and do those sort of things together. And then we talked about what to do for retirement, which is the continue the TSP and then look into the non-deductible converting to the Roth as long as you meet the requirements. And then for the 529, you're definitely saving a good amount. It just depends on where your child goes to college and how much it's going to cost and how much you want to chip in for that. Right. And those are some variables also. And I'm hearing different things in the personal finance community. Of course, there are people who think, um, you know, your kid needs to have the initiative and not, I guess, get any handouts or something. But then we also hear that tuition is just going to keep rising and rising. Mm -hmm. But I find it kind of funny that my 529 is significantly larger than my emergency fund. So I've been reconsidering, you know, maybe just scaling back a little bit on the 529, still doing a monthly. Yeah. Cause you're doing doing 300 a month, which is great. And it's, you know, you have 22,000 saved already and your child seven. Yes. Yes. You have another 10 years before they begin college, not even finish. And I have heard from people, of course, that you know, if worse come well, I know student loans is not our favorite topic around here, but we can't really get a loan for our retirement. You know, we have to. So yes, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, my attitude usually is I prefer to see a parent save for their own retirement than to jeopardize their retirement to put the child through college. Because here's what I see happen: I've seen single parents sacrifice everything to put a child through college and then the child comes out and does, you know, no debt. And so, you know, in the examples I'm thinking of, the child has a really good job and the parent is now having to work to 70, 75. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think they're happy that the child did so well in both examples. It was just a single mother with one child, but they're both tired. I don't think they realized how they would feel at that age still working and, you know, still saving and having to, you know, and having to deal with all the office politics and, just being like, I'm over this. I've been doing this for, you know, since I was 20. So I really, having watched that, I really err on the side of plan for your retirement and that you're going to be comfortable. And then college, what can you do to help? Because if you're in a better position in retirement, then you can help with the loans if there are loans, right? Right. And I'll feel like I'm maybe less of a burden on my own child, you know, for all the- Then you won't be a burden on your child. If anything, you can help them with their future by helping them pay back their loans, but more of the onus is on them for the- college. So your priority is making sure that you're stable, you can retire and you can take care of yourself. And then from there, what can you do to help your child get through college and have no debt? And if they have debt, how can you help them? Because now you're in a secure retirement position. Yeah. And it's kind of like the oxygen mask thing. 
that yes. I keep having to remind myself of. Yeah, yeah you, you definitely, I've also seen where, uh, where parents become a burden on the children because they, not because they put them through college, it's usually just because they had poor spending habits, but where they become a burden later on. And that's a stressful situation as well. So no, I think you're on the right track. I, the priority would be you and your, you know, making sure, right, because your child's right now is seven. So you have to make sure that you can provide and that you have the emergency fund. And I also think it's important that you spend time together and do fun stuff, whether that's a vacation or a museum or whatever. And then that you plan for your retirement. Sounds like a plan. Okay, perfect. And then I think you're doing a good job with the mortgage. I would continue to make the principal payment. I wouldn't, I think all the other things we talked about are more of a priority since you're already making a principal payment. I wouldn't add more to it. I would leave that for right now. So did I answer all your questions? I'm just going through everything here. Yes, I, I think so. I think we touched on everything I was wondering about. I think I'm really just trying to strike the right balance. I know I keep saying that, but um, that's just what I'll keep trying to focus on. I think if you, when you get either when you finish the emergency fund or when you get your next raise, if you give yourself a dollar amount out of the budget, I think that will be easier, more manageable for you to know that's my fund money. Yeah. Even just the psychological boost of that, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, I mean, you're crushing it. Oh, thanks. Wow. You're welcome. Yeah. You did. You're doing a great job. I mean, you have a, you're hitting a lot of savings goals. So this is, this is a great podcast for our listeners because a lot of people ask, how do you do it? Like, how do you handle the mortgage? And like some, most, a lot of people student loans, but for you, it's saving, saving for college so that your child doesn't have as many student loans, but you're doing the HSA and the dependent care FSA. And then you're doing your, your retirement savings. We're going to say a non-deductible Roth, a non-deductible IRA. You're, not eligible for Roth. Uh, you're doing the emergency fund, a principal payment. I mean, you're hitting everything. We just need to add a fun, a fun money account in there. The only you I, I, I left that out accidentally. Yeah. Um, I have to admit that I too had student loans for law school and I've also racked up some credit card debt once or twice in my past. So I had to learn a lot of this stuff on my own and right. through reading articles and listening to podcasts and everything. So I, I do... I should maybe pat myself on the back just a little bit for kind of turning things around and getting rid of the student loans and swearing off credit card debt to the extent I can um, forever. I'm kind of anti that now. Yeah. I mean, credit cards are also really hard to get rid of. Yeah. No, I think I, that's why I kind of really, and I really don't give this, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I don't give this that often. I really think you need to allocate a little bit more <laughs> <of the> fun. <laughs> Because you're doing a really good job. You have no, I mean, I had a feeling you obviously paid off debt because you're an attorney. So you a lot of education that you have, which is not free. And no, so I think you're doing a really good job. I mean, you're literally hitting all of the saving goals that you have set up. I think adding a little sliver in there for fun and reward to for all the hard work that you've done, I think would, would be fine. And it's not going to stop you from hitting your retirement goals. Well, thanks. It's such a huge relief to hear you say that. So I will keep that in mind. You're going to be one of the ones where people are like, she actually said to spend money on fun stuff. (laughs) Cut this out. Cut that out. We're going to save more. (laughs) No, you've done a good job. And you pay your own cell phone bill. So, I mean, come on. I'm going to take a vacation. It's pretty rare these days. It is pretty rare. These are elder millennials. Um, Well, we'll wrap this up. So, for our listeners, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to learn more about personal finance, I offer a class through SUNY Ulster at www.financial.com.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.